Welcome to episode 16 of Around the League with my man man Tuan recording in the doctor's office, aka the studio, aka the booth. We're super excited to talk hoops today. We got two very interesting series and some and some buzz around the coaching world. But before we dig in, let's check in with our boy, sipping on his coffee, sipping on his latte. Tuan, what up? Hey man, not too much. You know, Friday morning. Uh, no better place to be than in the studio with you, working on a little bit of uh, NBA. So, you know, excited to get here. And, uh, you know, I've been doing good. You know, uh, got nothing up going on this weekend. Going to be just chilling, vibing around, working on the window photo booth, you know. Uh, what about you? What are you uh, saying? Not too much, man. Um, weather's getting colder, so this is probably the last warm week we got. I'm going to take off at around 4 today. Going to get a, a round of golf in. I'm pretty pumped about that because it's, it's been a while with the going? back and all that. We're going to play at Conestoga. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, going with uh, Dave Harris. Nice. Yeah. So Steve Peng is a marshal there. Maybe we'll see him. Oh, he's a marshal there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, other than that, just taking it easy this weekend. Actually looking forward to it. Not too much on my plate. Nice. Yeah, man. Um yeah, let's dig into some hoops. You know, we got two series that are very similar, but also very different. We got two teams in each conference that we expected to maybe make it to the finals, the Boston Celtics and the LA Lakers. And they are accompanied by two teams that everyone is pretty much very surprised made it this far, the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Um, based on the outcome thus far of each series, what are you most surprised about? Which conference are you most surprised about? Honestly, uh, even with their their series wins against Utah and uh, LA Clippers, I didn't think Denver would be this good. I don't know. Like, I think we uh, we saw it obviously in the Clippers series, but even with the series being two one, they're basically toe to toe with the Lakers. Mm. They had a chance to game uh, win game two. Um, and then obviously the 80 uh, buzzer beater there. And then they really dominate from from the tip off all the way to the final final buzzer in game three. And they played with so much energy. And they st- they really do have a chance to to come out if if they're able to win game four. Even if they lose game three, they or sorry, if they game, lose game four, they're really where they want them down three to one. But um, I think if they are able to win game four, that puts a lot of pressure on. 80 on LeBron and even that supporting cast to to find that third guy to come up big because again 80 in game three had two rebounds they played with so like such low energy I think I heard a stat that it was their their lowest rebounding total in the regular season and playoffs since 2006 they had like 25 rebounds as a team they got out rebound of a 20 20 22 rebounds um, by the by, the Denver Nuggets, which I think tells you the type of energy te- that both teams are playing with, or the type of urgency that to- both teams are playing with. So that's the, definitely the the one that I think is still alive. The yeah. the Miami and and the Boston series is now three one, um, and I think Miami just again now found another guy that's going to erupt, especially since they played great team ball. Uh, four guys scoring 20 points and now they got Tyler Harrell clicking so 
you know, that's kind of where I'm at with both series. Yeah, I would say the Denver Lakers series is definitely the biggest surprise for me as well. Um, so let's let's focus on that one for a little bit. It's really funny because game one, to me, when I reflected, you know, we recorded a podcast after game one, but the more I thought about that game, um, it brought it brought a lot of memories back from the um, the 2017 Cleveland-Toronto series. And I saw a side of LeBron that I've seen before, and it was pretty frightening, to be honest, because A, they blew out the Nuggets, um, and B... LeBron was doing a lot of the things that he did in the Eastern Conference against teams that were inferior to him. A lot of the chest pumping, a lot of the stare downs, and ones, flexing, mm-hmm. uh, doing the whole I'm the king thing. <laughs> and really, like if you look at his roster, you know, it's compromised of guys that have been here before. You had a very experienced roster versus the Denver Nuggets who looked wide-eyed. And it was very great to see the Nuggets bounce back game two and lose a 50-50 game, really. Yeah. Uh, this this series could very much be 2-1 for the Nuggets. Yeah. And I think for the Nuggets, what they're going to have to figure out is that third player every night. I find that they get into the pick and roll almost to their detriment. They live and die by that pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. And I feel like if you start that off too early, it can get that third option very uh, disengaged. Yeah. So they got to figure out a way to get that third guy early. And game two was Michael Porter Jr., 15 points. Game three, it was Jeremy Grant. Forget how many points he scored. He had 26. 26, which was yeah. a career high a career in the playoffs. Yeah, Yeah. I think his previous career high was 20. Yeah, so I think, I think game four, the biggest thing is going to be getting that third guy involved early. Yeah, you're, you're echoing everything I was going to say, too. Just especially with... Yeah, this series is kind of funny because both teams have their two foundation players and they haven't found that third consistent guy yet. And I think when Dayan was on the podcast last week, I kept reiterating that they need to find that third guy or at least have someone uh, like Jeremy Grant to come out big and have a career game um, as a third guy um, to kind of just allow that balanced scoring. Because with the Lakers, you don't really know if KCP, if it's Kuzma, if it's Danny Green. Danny Green hasn't been a relevant player in this playoff series or even the entire playoffs and bubbles at all, which is, again, not that surprising for all Raptors fans that saw him choke uh, and almost threw away away game six in the finals last year. We're still bitter. Uh, Yeah, we're still still bitter. But they, they they have the pieces. Even Monte Morris played... Well, I don't think it showed up on the stat sheet, but he scored like five, six straight points when they needed it in game uh, in game three. Again, they had Michael Porter Jr. Millsap can go off for 15, 16 points. Um, even Gary Harris. So they have those guys. It's just finding, even even if they don't have that third guy to go off for 26, if they can get two, three guys to get 12, 14 points and just play solid defense, rebound, and um, just kind of feed off of all the playmaking that Murray and Jokic uh, can do, then they have a they have a chance. Yeah, I agree. I think if any team is more likely to get a third or fourth player engaged and producing, it's the Denver Nuggets. I just think they have deeper and better talent. Um, I don't see guys like Marcus. Like I wouldn't rely on guys like Caruso, Marcus Morris, or or is it Markeith? Either one, one of the Morris brothers, yeah. and then Rondo. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on them showing up. I would say it would be more likely for a guy on the Nuggets to show up. And, you know, I think at the, you know, Jokic didn't even play that well in game three. 
but they were able to keep him afloat. I know he had a double-double, yeah. but it wasn't like, you know, a classic Jokic night that we've been used to seeing. No, because, the, yeah, they had more of a balanced uh, offensive attack. And, yeah, it was Jeremy's grand game, I think. He, he was obviously the, the, the best player uh, in that game. But, you know, I just want to quickly reflect on Jamal's game and how he's been able to really propel and accelerate his his career path, uh, especially in these playoffs. Like, his confidence is at a all-time high. And when they needed a bucket um, late in Game 4, especially when the Lakers, who were down 20 um, going into the fourth, got it back down to 2 or 3, and he made a huge shot um, in the mid-range and then made two big threes uh, to seal that game. But the Lakers had a chance in Game Three. They again, they were down two, th- two or three. They were on like and, a twenty and two run. And then they had chances to uh, take the lead. I think they had like two threes um, by Kuzma and Crusoe that that missed. And then they had a three on one where it was Rondo, AD, and Kuzma. And Rondo passed to Kuzma, or not? So he passed it to AD, and AD passed it back, but he wasn't expecting, so it went out of bounds. So again, one or two buckets swing one way. Again, that that whole game could could have changed if the Lakers had taken that lead. And then who knows the mentality and the mental, um, just the mental aspect of the thing of the things with uh, with Denver there. Yeah, I think if you just encompass the regular season in the bubble and the playoffs, I think Jamal Murray is the bubble MVP. I think he's been the biggest bright spot in the in the league. I think everyone is talking about him. He's starting to get a lot of recognition. I also think it's official. I think it's official that he is the player that he's currently playing yeah. at, at that rate that he's playing at because so much of my critique, your critique, I think earlier this season when we started recording was the inconsistency of Jamal Murray. And it was fair because you know we had seen it for two or three seasons now. But I think he's really coming into his own. He's hitting his stride. And he, he honestly, he's starting to look unguardable in ways. Yeah, and he's just making timely shots. Like, you know how we had Kawhi with the Raptors last year. And if you're, da- if you're down three or four, or if you're up and a team's making a run, you need that guy to make that shot for you and to kind of keep things even keel and keep uh, your team just in the game. And he's been able to do that all playoff, playoff long, really. And I was... Like just talking to Jackie the other day, uh, after game three, after Jamal made those crazy threes at the end of game four, I'm like, man, doesn't he remind you of Lillard? Kind of like I, I was trying to find like a comparison for him because you know he's a he's kind of like a tweener between like a a point guard and a two, where he he plays like a two, he attacks the rim and shoots like a two, but he can also give you twelve assists, which he did in game three. Um, but he doesn't have to be the primary ball handler on the on the Nuggets because they have Jokic, right? So a lot of his playing is like you know coming off the screen, um, cutting when when he passes to the high post to Jokic. So it reminds me a lot of one like Damian Lillard's kind of recent play where you know yet he's a threat two three feet above the three three point arc. But also even when um, Steph in 2005 when he started to become the player he he is today um, and that run that they made um, with with Draymond and and Clay and he's reminding me slowly of that ascension 
the same same type of player where he's not only just scoring 26 points on re- like really high efficiency, but he's getting guys involved too. Like like I said, he had 12 assists in Game Three, and getting guys like Jeremy Grant involved, get guys like Monte Morris involved. So yeah, I'm not sure like what his projection and where where we see where he's gonna be in like a few years, but he's getting to that type, same type of level. He's averaging 26 points, six assists and five rebounds, shooting better than 50%, and he's, he's shooting like 48% from three the entire playoff. So it's not just like a small sample here. Now they've played two seven game series now, so he's playing 17 games and th- those are his numbers. And that's what, that's a fifth of a season? You know, a fifth or yeah. sixth of a season? And I think, and especially with coaches and players game planning for him. So Utah was a, a decently defensive, uh, good defensive team. Clippers are a top two, three defensive team with two, three of the best perimeter defenders in the world. And he was able to, you know, he, he was contained in a few games, but he went off when they needed him to go off in the last two, three games. And now... He's showing again, even with like LeBron, with KCP, with AD in the middle, that he's able to um, attack, get to the rim, and he's been making a lot of strong finishes. Yeah, I was gonna say like his ability to finish around the basket is actually Steve Nash like to me. Um, the way he's able to do floaters over big men and stuff, he actually reminds me of Steve Nash yeah. when he's in the paint. Yeah. Um, and then back to the comparison thing, I think you nailed it with Dame Lillard and Steph Curry, but I feel like. He's kind of a showtime player. He's the type of guy that I remember when Steph Curry started going off, Twitter would start blowing up. And we're starting to see that with Jamal Murray. When he starts getting hot, um, he's got that look in his face. And he will erupt for consecutive baskets. And, you know, people, you can see it right now. A lot of people are starting to chime in um, as they watch these games. He's electrifying. Yes, yeah. Like with the the game three, the the final three that he took, where it was like, again, like a three-foot... Beyond the arc shot over 80, and he kind of just like, you know, yeeted it, <laughs> and uh, it went in. And I'm like, man, that's that's actually insane. That's like a Steph Curry type shot to kind of seal the game, really, just you know, make it a no-brainer. So um, exciting to see, man. Just yeah, for Kitchener man's like, it's pretty uh, pretty cool to see a kid just from our region, from our school district, and um, a kid that you know plays at Rim Park. You know, or at Laurier or whatever, just making it big. So very like cool to see. And my brother obviously has a as a as, as someone who's played against him. Like even as like a competitor, he's super happy to see his success. And I think that we we all share that same sentiment as kind of like a KW community because we as as a basketball community, I think we're always underrated as as one of those like um, uh, we always feel like we're a better basketball like city than a lot of pr- people give us credit for and I think we're finally getting his his ability and his play has definitely put the city on the map yeah no definitely I got a couple of Jamal Murray Jamal Murray stories myself just you know being around PGC coaching those basketball camps he used to be a camper at the camps but I'll save those for later um, but it was telling you know he he definitely reflected that he had certain habits that other kids didn't um, but yeah let's move on you know it's gonna be interesting do they play tonight Denver and Lakers? Is it tonight or tomorrow? Uh, I, I think it's tonight. Actually, crazy stat. Anthony Davis. This is going to be like his 28th or 29th playoff game. Yeah, he's he's never... Yeah, he's... Well, he's been with the Pelicans for 
so many years. So, but is it six year in the league? Yeah, six year in the league. Twenty eighth playoff game. Has he ever been? Has he ever been out out of the first round with the Pelicans? He went to the first round once. They played the they played the Blazers or the Warriors. Yeah, they got. Uh, oh, and yeah. he hit that game winner. Yeah, he hit that game winner that bank oh, shot. against against Golden State, and then I think didn't uh, they sweep Portland like two years ago? I think they swept them, and then that's when like Portland was like okay on the verge of like dis- oh dis- yes, disbanding, yes, yes disbanding their team, and then they kept that team, and then they went to the Western Conference Finals. So I think mm. yeah, he's had a few games there. So <coughs> sir, uh, but he's a he's a big time player, man. Like outside of Game Three, obviously. With those two rebounds, poor effort. But um, he's his mid range is nasty. His defensive prowess and how he just kind of attracts the guys and be able to like bait them into trying to attack. He's he's been playing really well, and not, I'm not surprised. But I think as you know, now he's playing with the Lakers and he just more more visibility and just now on you know on a bigger team. I think we're really seeing how good of a player he is and yeah game four is huge and i think it's going to say a lot about who ad is because we know lebron's going to come out and probably give you a 30 point triple double but now is it ad going to give you you know 30 10 and 5 or is he going to give you just 25 points be lazy on the perimeter and give you two three rebounds right yeah it'll be interesting to see for sure um moving to the eastern conference Boston Celtics, Miami Heat. Boston Celtics are now down 3-1. We thought maybe, you know, getting Gordon Hayward back would make things, uh, would bring things to even keel for the Boston Celtics. They won game three. Uh, Gordon Hayward definitely helped. I think when you look at it, like having Gordon Hayward on the floor means that you don't have to have like Brad Wanermaker or Semi Ojale share significant minutes, right? So he's a playmaker. He can score. We know that, but... Um, the outcome, you know, I thought they would maybe tie this series up, but instead they're down 3-1 and are on the brink of elimination. Tyler Harrowman, 37 points, all over Jason Tatum all game. Yeah, even on Brown. So he, he's not just getting one, one like, specific defender. They're, they're trying to um, switch it up. And, yeah, just an unbelievable game by that kid. And... That's exactly what Miami needed, but that's what exactly Miami expected. They they don't depend on one guy. Like I think we said before um, in the last, I don't know, two, two three podcasts that Miami's, Miami's a team that doesn't depend on Jimmy Butler to give them 25 a game. They can give him, they, he can give you 10 points, and then Dragic can go off, Tyler Harrell can go off, um, even like Crowder can give you a solid 12, 14 points just be big on the threes and kind of spread the floor that way. So, you know, I don't, it's not unexpected because we know the type of player that he's been. And I think the the one stat in the broadcast yesterday was he scored double digits in every game so far. Um, so, you know, you're going to get 10 points from him. And we know that he's a young, confident player. So he's not scared to take a big shot or a heat check shot. And I don't think Spolstra cares that he does. Because yesterday when he was going off, I think he was, you know, probably like 25, 26 points. And he just pulled up like from, from beyond the arc and he airballed it. But it didn't deter him from still attacking the basket and being the primary, primary ball handler for the heat down the stretch, which is huge. Um, again, for a 20-year-old, a first-year player. 
and a guy that, again, was coming off the bench. He was coming off the bench this game too, so it's pretty insane to to have a kid come off with 30 points. And it wasn't all just uh, coming off the screen and pulling up. He was attacking um, Kemba Walker. He was making floaters. He was making mid-range. And he was making plays for other players. Um, that's the one thing that's really impressive about him and even Robinson is when they get going, they're not just looking for their shot and they're going to take stupid shots. They're going to get others involved. And that's the one thing that separates them from, I don't know, like a J.J. Redick type player. And J.J., you know, obviously an awesome career, an awesome player, but you're not going to get J.J. Redick attacking the, the bucket and making plays for other players. He's awfully, obviously like an off-screen or like coming off the pick-and-roll uh, type player. So he's not that that type of player, and these two guys have it. And, um, yeah, I, I think Boston's dead in the water now. Unless, unless, you know, Tatum is able to reel off three really big points. I think him scoring zero points in the first half um, was definitely their downfall. They, they Obviously, he scored, I think, scored 20-plus in the, the third and fourth, but they were down early. Um, they were down 12 going into... Um, I believe not, not the fourth, but they were down real, like a, by 12 in the third. He started getting going and they took the lead, but then Hero went off. I'm finding that uh, when I watch Boston play, they're kind of playing consistently. They've been playing consistently the entire playoffs. I know I feel like they're they're playing their brand of basketball. Miami's just playing a lot better. And they've hit their stride from the beginning of the playoffs, and they haven't really slowed down. When I was watching Tyler Harrow go off, he actually reminds me of Jason Tatum in a lot of ways. In his offensive ability. Um, his, his ability to put the ball on the floor, pull up, shoot from the three. He's a bit of a better playmaker than Tatum, I would say. And he's 20 years old. And I think that... He's only 20 years old. Tw- <laughs> but I think that at this point in his career, at the way that he's playing at the age of 20, yeah. he's actually, I think he's better than Tatum was when Tatum was 20. <coughs> and well, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this kid continues to progress because he's, yeah, he's a killer. And he's got such, his confidence is through the roof. Uh, I don't know if he was better than, T- Tatum also took a second year player in Brown without um uh, Kyrie to the to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron too. So like they remember they beat Philadelphia in that like they spanked Philadelphia I think um, in the second round they they made it to the Eastern Conference Eastern Conference Finals and this is the third Eastern Conference Finals in four years. So he's made three three uh, semifinals with the Celtics in his first four years. So yeah, Tatum's pretty good. I don't think Harrow's at that level yet. He had a really good game. But uh, there's a reason why they, they said he's only 20, you know, like Tatum, Tatum's really good. And, um, but I see the comparison because they, they don't rush anything. It's all these young, these young guys are actually very impressive in the way they play. Like Luca, like, you know, he's like the master of like the fundamentals and just like slowing things down. And um, Harrow and Tatum are both the same. They don't rush the game. They're not like taking erratic shots. No, they play the pick and roll really well. Like I, I noticed that when they're, when they're using that screen, they have so much patience. They're not rushing anything. They'll sort of delay yeah. and then get the defenders to sort of sag or then, you know, take that floater, take that pull-up jumper. Um, they pump fake a lot from the three-point line. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I definitely see a lot of patience from both those players. Yeah, and 
it's such a big contrast from watching someone like Siakam. You know, I hate to bring it up, but even just seeing him get the ball and just make such erratic moves, you know, he's playing at too fast of a pace. So it, I just, it, you just can't have the ball in his hands the entire time when you need a bucket or when you know when when you need a crucial stretch in the fourth. It's just like his game is too quick for himself, you know. And yeah, he hasn't the way found it yet. the way Miami's beating Boston is the way Toronto could have if everyone was performing. Bam Adebayo is kind of doing the things that we wanted Pascal to do. Exactly, exactly. And um, it's just unfortunate that we didn't have the ability to sort of light the fire under his ass because they're 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 you know Boston is thin at the front court and Miami's taking full advantage mm-hmm. of it and we had the ability to take full advantage of it but we just weren't able to because uh, we were relying on Pascal and he just he was getting owned by Jalen Brown all, all series yeah, I, I also think yeah like a good point there with with Bam I think the Raptors now and sorry I don't even want to bring up the Raptors it's just um, they have they have older center so with like Siak or with Abaka and who like to pick and pop yeah pick and pop exactly where it's a big contrast between those between the Raptors and the Heat because now Bam if you're if you're you know if you're not helping um, the alley-oop from Bam that, that's a wide open shot for Dragic for Butler or for Hero but if you if you you know play up on those guards and Bam is able to roll to the rim it's a dunk it's, and that's what happened in game uh, I believe in game two when when they when they stole that game in overtime with the block by Bam, he had a really strong uh, stretch there where he just picked picked and rolled and just dunked everything that came his way, and we didn't see an alley from the Raptors all series long. No, nope. right? So I think um, that's probably one thing that uh, they should look at um, changing up, obviously with the free agency looming for those two guys too. But yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I would agree. I think Miami's got this one. I think Boston is dead in the water. Um, we got to speed things up here. Yeah. You got a meeting with yeah. the with the Addy crew, but uh, rather than rather than touching on the rumor mill, we know that Mike D'Antoni is said to sort of be the um, the lead candidate for that Philly for that Philly job. Rather than going on the rumor mill, why don't we just talk about Billy Donovan real quick? Because um, it was made official yeah. that he's now the um, that he is now the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, and when I heard the news. I was sort of like, what the F? You know, why would he find that job appealing with Indiana available, with Philadelphia available? But the more that I think about it, you know, this guy has coached some great talent in his four years as a head coach. And he's definitely going to get the command of the room when he's, when he's, in, the, when he's in the locker room with those young guys that uh, they're, they're Fred Hoiberg or whatever. Sorry, what's his name? The guy that got fired? From Chicago, yeah, uh, Jim Boylan, yeah, Jim Boylan, yeah. that he couldn't, that he couldn't, right? So it's probably going to assist with, um, uh, what you would call it, drawing a blank on the players, oh, Sacrifine, Kobe and, White, and Kobe White, yeah, it'll help with their development. Yeah, so yeah, again, like he's coached Westbrook teams with Westbrook uh, teams with Chris Paul teams with Shea Gilders Alexander, younger players. So he's been able to show that he's. Um, you know, you can be, put a good team around him. He's able to um, succeed there. Even with a younger team, um, he's able to really get the most out of them. Like, he got the most out of Shea. He got the most out of Lou Dortz. 
and got the most out of Chris Paul too. So I think I think it was a great fit. I think especially since um, he didn't get his contract renewed by OKC, I think they just wanted to go a different route. Um, that they uh, yeah a big market like Chicago, and he's able to you know take those young guys like even Laurie Markkinen. They have Wendell uh, Wendell Carter Jr. So they have good talent. They just um, haven't been been able to put it together. I'm not sure who they'll they'll draft this year to add to that to that team. But at least they have a foundational player in Zach Levine who's going to give you 25 points. Um, it's just depending on how he progresses as a playmaker and if he's able to you know lock down on defense a little bit because those are his two weakest uh, attributes. And then they also have Kobe White who played really well at the end of the season last year. Uh, I, I, I believe I read a stat that it was like 25 points a game for like a 10 game stretch uh, at the end of last year. So I think that shows a bit of potential and Laurie Markkinen again had, a, I guess a down year compared to his rookie in the second uh, season. So if he's able to, and again, he was injured. He was injured for uh, a, a large portion of last year. So if he's able to stay healthy, they have a really good young team. It's just putting it all together. And um, yeah, look at what I guess OKC is doing with the younger team. They, they just gotta find one or two vets to, to lead that team and put them in the right direction. And they gotta taste a bit of playoff success either as an eighth or seventh seed and just get it get the ball rolling because it's not going to be a quick fix with this coach I, i'm not sure how many years he signed with them but um it's going to be a four or five year project and uh we can only really assess his uh his job once those four or five years are done because you know we're, they're not going to make the playoffs or they're going to be a very like low seed in the week east um, for the yeah. next few years, so no, absolutely, and I think that you got a you got a roster comprised of guys that have high aspirations in Kobe White, Zach Levine, Markinen. So there's no better fit than a guy like Billy Donovan. If you look at the spectrum of stardom that this guy has coached, yeah, um, Westbrook, Durant, yeah. Chris Paul, yeah. uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, a young mm-hmm. buck who has got high aspirations himself. Sure. Um, he's definitely going to get their attention. I think that he's going to definitely get a lot of respect from these guys. Because there's no reason that Chicago shouldn't be a big destination for free agents. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a massive basketball market. Massive. And I think that they've sort of understood that, or they understand that, obviously. And they feel like he's the guy to sort of revitalize this organization and get them back into free agent destination talks in the next three, four years. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. They, they are a huge market. And I know free agents, you know, can really pick wherever they want to play now. It's not just, hey, I want to play for the Knicks, I want to play for the Lakers or the Celtics. Um, you know, guys are going to be signing with the Clippers and shit now. So um, that's kind of out of the, the question. But again, Chicago is such a big market. And if they're able to put a good team around one star that's homegrown or something like that, you know, get lucky with a free agent, um, they can get right back on track. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, man. So maybe, you know, we're going to record next week. Yeah, maybe there will be some more definite uh, news with the 76ers coaching yeah. coaching search, but yeah. it's going to be pretty interesting if they have Mike D'Antoni because, like we've sort of heard through the rumor mill, um, hiring Mike D'Antoni comes with some roster changes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's there'll definitely be a a lot of rumors if he uh, if he gets hired, and then because of the way their roster is being constructed right now, obviously it doesn't fit with his play. 
but again, I was telling you earlier before we were on the podcast that it's funny to see a team, even just with the rumors that they that they would be willing to reconstruct their entire team based on the coach that they hire. So it'll be see if it comes if it comes true. But also Ty Lue is in discussions for that job too, and the Pacers have a vacant uh, head head coaching um, role. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see the shakeup in the East in terms of. Uh, head coaches there yeah shout out to Toronto's Nate Bjorken um, he's he's getting interviewed by the Pacers he's sort of in their short list of coaches so that'd be huge for an aspiring coach like him yeah that's huge. and you know we we talk about Chauncey Billups we talk about uh, Tyron Lou, but you're talking about a guy that was right the left-hand man or the right-hand man to Nick Nurse coach of the year currently and yeah. a championship winning team last year so I think that he's going to actually um, sort of jump to the front of a lot of teams' shortlist. Should he show interest mm-hmm. in any of those jobs? That's well. That's just huge for the for him and just the Raptors organization, knowing that they even have a guy like a assistant coach that um, is on that level. Is on that level. Even Adrian Griffin. Yeah, Griffin. Yeah. I think I think is Griffin the the lead, or it, m- it must be one of those guys. But but I've heard Griffin getting consideration for other head coaching jobs too, or that he should be deserving of a head coaching job. So. Um, it's good to know that the Raptors have those assistants and that they're, you know, they can eventually branch out and kind of have that like San Antonio coaching tree that will eventually, you know, that we can see down the line in five, ten years that, hey, we saw Nick Boardman, whatever, if he gets hired by the Pacers to be the head coach or if Adrian Griffin gets a position and then you, you see where that, that tree grows. So Yeah, absolutely. Cool like the head coach, getting a head coaching job in the NBA might be the hardest thing. And, with, and it comes with the most pressure. And it's really interesting because I feel like there's a lot of momentum right now in media about who deserves a coaching spot. But it doesn't work like that. You know, you could, you could be, um, you know, interviewing Jason Kidd or Tyler Lou, but a guy like Nate with the Toronto Raptors, you know, he's probably going to get a lot. He probably comes with a lot more credibility currently sure. than some of these guys. So why wouldn't you hire a guy like that? For sure. For sure. I don't know his background, though. He's kind of like one of those guys that... Just kind of fly. I think he's a, yeah, he's a drifter. Yeah, he's just, a bit of a drifter. I think he's been with um, Nick for a while too. I think they've been uh, partners in terms of like coaching for a while too. So it'd be cool to, if he gets a job and then kind of really understand his story too. Because same with Nick Nurse, this guy's been coaching for thirty years, in you know, in, in England and all over the G League, and look at where he's at now. So um, be really, yeah, be good for him if he got that role and great for the Raptors organization yeah absolutely well you got a jet so yeah. let's wrap this thing up yeah we just want to give a shout out to everyone listening to our podcast we appreciate you and <laughs> I would say that when we touch in next the Boston Celtics will be eliminated and the Nuggets will either be, be tied good. 2-2 or they'll be down 3-2 to the Lakers <laughs> depending on when we uh when we record next yeah I think that I think they'll still be playing that's, yeah. that's my gut absolutely feeling. cool yeah appreciate everyone listening uh, thanks now for having me so early in the morning. Opening up my retail space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Have a great weekend. We'll be in touch. Peace. Peace.